So how many of you have already been, by show of hands, on a vacation this summer? Or any kind of trip? Uh, maybe it's something you wouldn't call a vacation. Maybe you traveled somewhere. Um, as you remember both this vacation uh, that you took this summer as well as vacations in previous years, when you think about those vacations, what are the stories that stick out to you from those vacations? The really fun experiences or like the laughably terrible ones? What are the ones that you remember most vividly? Uh, are they, what are the stories that you tell over and over again uh, mo more often than, than the others? Is it the ones where everything went perfect uh, and it was like this picturesque, you know, wonderful family. We felt like, uh, you know, the perfect family for a moment. Or is it those where things like Murphy's Law was fully in effect uh, and everything that could go wrong did go wrong? Which one of those do you tend to tell more often? I personally tend to tell the ones where everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Anybody else identify with that reality? Um, maybe the rest of you are perfect. I don't know. Uh, but I know that for me, those are the kinds of things that stick in my mind. Um, we have some great stories I uh, got to experience uh, some great stuff in Colorado this year. Um, nearly slid off a mountain, so that was the part that I remember. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell that story because that was the most recent. Uh, but we were, we went to, uh, when we first got to Pagosa Springs, before we even checked into our Airbnb, uh, we decided, okay, we've been in the car. The kids seemed to hate the mountains so far because all they had seen is in the car in the wilderness of New Mexico. Uh, and so we thought, okay, let's go do something fun. We had been there before. We knew there was this easy hike up to this uh, waterfall called Treasure Falls. Anybody been in that area, maybe you've seen it. Uh, and so we decided to go do that hike real quick. Uh, and we went and we parked the car at the, at the base of the mountain where Treasure Falls is. And we get out. It's a roadside thing. Uh, and we get out and we start hiking up. And Cheryl and I are commenting to one another along with our three children. But we're commenting to one another like, this is a lot harder than I remember. I remember this hike being a lot easier when we did it 11 years ago, uh, the last time that we were in this area. And it kept getting harder and harder to the point that things were really slick. None of us had the right shoes on. Um, and then it, it, it just complete chaos breaks loose at, at some point. Those of you who've, who've traveled with kids uh, and tried to hike with children, anybody else ever hiked with children? Wouldn't recommend, zero of 10, uh, do not recommend. Uh, I would not try that one out. Uh, so we decided to, to, to try, keep going and uh, everything got really steep and really slick. Cannon, our middle child, lost his mind. Uh, he started to slide. He thought he was dead. He started screaming. Um, and then I'm like, okay, everything's fine. And the next thing I know, I'm spread out, holding onto the mountain for dear life because my own feet have, have fled out from underneath me. Uh, and all I could say is Cheryl, as if she's going to, like, you know, just reach down and pull me off like cliffhanger. All right, like she's just going to pull down and, and, and hold me on until I find my own footing. Um, you know, get that supernatural mom strength uh, to keep me on the mountain. So that was the most recent one. Uh, and as we go back through different memories, we can remember stopping in the middle of Mississippi in the middle of nowhere and cleaning throw up out for about 30 minutes at this gas station that used to be a gas station years ago. First time in Mississippi, could have swore I heard banjos playing in the background. You know, we can remember stuff like that. You can remember the stories that stick out or the stories that things didn't go as planned. Because we tend to, and I've said this before, uh, but it bears repeating because it's just true. Uh, we tend to, as human beings, hold on to and remember the most negative stories. Now, those are laughably funny. Uh, like the truly tragic, I wouldn't share and we wouldn't laugh about. Uh, but those kind of things, the negative things, stick in our mind a lot more. 
Um, perhaps one of the, the, the best uh, ways to put this, I've, I've heard it, uh, is I was at a conference one time and I was listening to an author talk about a book that he wrote and how after he wrote it, he went and checked on Amazon and 98% of the reviews were positive, but the ones that he had memorized were the one-star negative reviews. Those were the ones that he remembered, the ones that followed him around. And so we have this capacity within us to ignore the positive and focus on the negative. That's why National Lampoon's Vacation movie series exists, right? Because we all have those crazy stories, those negative where everything went bad things that we can remember. It's easy to focus on the negative of the world. We also sometimes do that with Scripture. We could focus on harder passages. We could focus on passages that are more convicting, which we should at times because at times we need to be convicted. And we can overlook those passages of celebration. For instance, right now we're starting off, still starting off in the book of Revelation, and we're going through chapters 2 and 3 right now where we see Jesus addressing each of the seven churches in Asia Minor that the book of Revelation is addressed to. And one, one of the, the ones that are most easily recalled by the church at large, and I would say myself as well, of those seven churches are the ones where things went negative. I, automatically, if I were to think about the seven churches, I'm going to think about the first one mentioned and the last one mentioned. I'm going to think about Ephesus and how they lost their first love, and I'm going to think about Laodicea, the church that was lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, that we're going to talk about the next time we're together, that Jesus said he would rather spit them out of their mouth than deal with their lukewarm faith. We tend to think about those, those big negative statements, and those things need to be heard. That conviction needs to be felt by the church today. But we also tend to forget those passages of celebration. We forget about Smyrna that we've talked about already, a church that underwent great persecution, but Jesus had nothing negative to say about that church. And we have a similar thought here in the church that we're going to look at today, the church in Philadelphia, a church about which, again, Jesus had nothing negative to say, only positive, noting, again, how difficult of a situation they were in, and even though they were in that difficult situation, their faith remained strong. And so all of that to say, before we dive into the point of this morning, we need to celebrate more often and celebrate the light more than we lament the darkness because we lament the darkness a lot. We see the darkness a lot, and the darkness is worth lamenting. We should, as a people, as believers, followers, hands and feet of Jesus Christ, we should be a people who say this is not good, this should not be, about things that are not good and should not be in this world. But at the same time, we should take just as much passion, if not more passion, into celebrating the things that are good and to celebrating the ways that we see God moving to the positive, the things that we see him doing in the lives, uh, in our own lives and in the lives of people around us. So let's celebrate a little bit about what Jesus says to Philadelphia today. But speaking of negative feelings, nobody likes to feel left out, right? Nobody likes to feel excluded. Many of us can, if we were to library catalog our thoughts and our memories, we could go back in our life and remember those first feelings of exclusion. For boys, uh, a lot of times that happens as getting picked last on the playground when you're in elementary school, right? I'll pick you, I'll pick you, I'll pick you, I'll pick you, and then you're stuck at the end, and you have that, you know, the team captain that's stuck picking you, like, okay, I guess I'll take him too, and the feelings of exclusion that come with that. Later in life, junior high and high school, it might come when you have on a crush, and the crush doesn't crush on you back, you know, and it's just, it's a one-way kind of crush, so the other person doesn't even know your name. You kind of have those feelings of exclusion, like you don't matter as much as you thought you did. As you get a little older, those feelings of exclusion can change. 
It can go from watching your friends kind of maybe get married or start careers or get in the military or do something else important and purposeful with their life while you changing majors every other semester and you just feel like you're floundering, don't know exactly what to do while they seem to have everything together. It can happen when your coworkers who you think you deserve the promotion more than they do, but they get it anyway. You watch other people move up in the career that you wanted to move up in and you feel like doors are closing in your face. When you have a family, if you do have a family, it's, it's watching other people's kids succeed and get the recognition and the awards that you think only your kids should get. It's a series of closed doors over and over again throughout life where you just feel like you're always on the outside looking in, whether it's socially, economically, um, in, in, in your career, even spiritually, you don't feel like you've ever been given the opportunity to lead in the way that you think you should lead and you just feel like you're excluded on the outside looking in. Now, of course, we call that in our culture today FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, fear of being on the outside. Nobody wants to be the one left behind watching everyone else have a grand old time while you can only hear the party from the outside on the other side of the fence. The church that we're going to look at today, the Christians in Philadelphia uh, in the first century in Asia Minor that this letter is addressed to, they were probably ones that could understand that feeling of being excluded, of being on the outside, as when it comes to the way that they related with the world around them or the way the world around them treated them, there were certainly some to be excluded. And I think Jesus has a word for them through this book and a word for us today, and that is this. Jesus loves making outsiders insiders. It's like one of his favorite things, to take people on the outside and bring them inside. Before we open the scripture and, and read together, let's pray once again. Father, we are grateful to be in your presence. Lord, even just saying those words in your presence, flippantly as if, as if it's something that just happens. God, I ask forgiveness for that. And, and God, we want to recognize how big it is that we are in your presence. That you the holy and sovereign creator of the universe are here within us and among us, inviting us into your presence, inviting us to hear your truth. God, you are good. You are bigger than we could ever imagine, and yet you are here and we give you glory for it. God, I pray that you would do as you always do, God, that you would speak truth to us through your word of truth. God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would remove distraction and chaos and the busy week that we've had from our minds and our hearts and help us to focus solely on what it is you have to speak to us this morning. God, we thank you for the access we have to your word. God, we thank you for the movement of your Holy Spirit. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would implant the truth of your word in us in such a way that you could do a work of transformation. God, may we be transformed through this encounter that we have with you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. 
Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. To the one who conquers, I will give him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia is similar to many of the other cities we've already seen mentioned in Romans 2 and 3, excuse me, in Revelation 2 and 3. Living in the Roman world under Roman occupation, uh, heavy Roman influence, their main pagan cult was the worship of Dionysus, which was the god of wine. The city was tightly bound to Rome, having their name changed a couple of times briefly to honor Roman emperors. And there was a large, besides Roman population, there was also a, maybe not large, but at least sizable Jewish population that appears to be opposed to the Christian presence, which seems to be like Smyrna, the source of the Philadelphians' persecution. And so it's not as if the Philadelphian Christians had it easy, and that's why they were doing well. It's not as if they lived in, in luxury and ease and didn't ever have to take stands for their faith. They clearly did. This synagogue of Satan that Jesus talks about back in his letter to the church in Smyrna is the same one, the same kind of thing is going on here in Philadelphia, uh, which would mean that these, these Jews who call themselves Jews, but Jesus says are most certainly not, probably kicked the Christians out of the synagogue, uh, removed them from any sort, of, any sort of relationship that they might have had, and so that led them to be isolated. Uh, the Christians in Philadelphia, both from their Jewish brothers and sisters and from the Romans around them. Uh, but not only that, if it's the same thing that was going on in Smyrna, then what we had, uh, what we have uh, is a group of Jewish people who are opposed to Christianity because they see the Christian message as one of heresy. There is one true God. He's not Jesus, they would say. Anyone who says that Jesus is God needs to be removed from the equation. And their way to get them removed from the equation was to turn them in to the Roman authorities and say, hey, there's these group of troublemaking Christians over here. You need to do something about them. Does that sound familiar? Uh, it's kind of the playbook that they've had uh, ever since trying to get rid of Jesus. Uh, and, and so this synagogue of Satan, Jesus will call it because it's causing division uh, and not one that's actually doing what the synagogue is supposed to do, bearing glory to God, is at work in Philadelphia just like it had been in Smyrna. But even though we don't see mention of death here like we did in Smyrna, we do see persecution going on for the church in Philadelphia. Maybe it's a persecution of isolation. Jesus says they have but little power. There's little influence for the church in Philadelphia. This is a powerless church from worldly standards. This is a disconnected church in worldly standards. They're isolated from both the Romans and the Jews. So they're isolated in a spiritual perspective, and they're also isolated in an economic perspective by not having any way to deal with the Romans and the economy that the Romans had built around them. The Christians in Philadelphia might not have run the risk of losing their life, but they certainly ran the risk and seemed to have fulfilled the risk of losing their significance and their power. Yet, even in the face of this powerlessness, even in the face of their faith being the thing that kept them in a position of exclusion, uh, in, in the absence of power and significance, even though that was the case, they still stayed strong in their faith. They never denied the name of Christ. And so Jesus 
blesses them in return. The weakest church here in Philadelphia, probably the weakest church throughout, Smyrna, again, was undergoing persecution, but it is the church in Philadelphia where he says they have but little power. The weakest church is the one promised the most good. You know, God throughout Scripture loves to show his power through the powerless. Right? It's, it's one way he shows up over and over again. Um, showing his power through the powerless. It was just a reading the story of, of Gideon with the boys the other night in their um, comic book Bible, which is pretty cool. And uh, reading about that story just reminded me how much God uses human weakness and human frailty and people who had all sorts of problems and issues and lack of faith. Gideon seemed to have a severe lack of faith. And God would use him anyway to restore fortune to his people and to be good to his people. God is a God who loves to use the powerless, to manifest his power in the powerless. Because they didn't deny his name, the Christians in Philadelphia, they will receive some awesome promises. It's some of the biggest stuff that's been promised yet in the book of Revelation to those who endure, to those who stay strong. To the church in Philadelphia, he promises them first. He just kind of mentions that they're going to have crowns. Uh, and so there's some kind of royalty bestowed upon them. Uh, but then he says, you will have the name of my God written on you. You will have the name of the holy city, New Jerusalem, the, my, the city of my God, New Jerusalem, written on you. And you will even have, Jesus says that of himself, you will even have my new name written on you. And so it's going to be obvious that you belong and that you belong to someone. For a group of people who had their whole life felt excluded, Jesus is preaching a message of, hey, I want everyone to know that you belong to me. I want everyone to know that you belong to God the Father. I want everyone to know that you belong to me, Jesus, your Savior. And I want everyone to know you have a home because I'm going to put my city's name on you too. You're not excluded. You're welcomed into part of the family. God loves to show his power to the powerless. They also have the added advantage of being removed from the punishment, the wrath of God that's coming when he comes to exact justice on the rest of the world. But again, the thing I want to focus on this morning is that rather than being excluded, as they have been likely their whole life, these people are finally having the opportunity presented to them to be included. Jesus describes himself as the holy and true one who has the key of David. Borrowing from and fulfilling a prophecy that goes back to Isaiah 22, 22, using almost the same wording. And he says that with this key, supposedly, that he will open a door and no one will shut it. What I see in my mind's eye when I imagine this passage is I see not only just the door being propped open, I see Jesus like removing the door from the hinges and leaving the doorway wide open for anyone who desires to pass through it. The door has been opened and no one else can shut it. Jesus himself calls himself the one who opens and no one else can close it, who closes and no one else can open. He alone being the arbiter of who is in and who is out. He alone getting to make that call on humankind, not anyone else. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about the church in Philadelphia. It doesn't matter what their Jewish or Roman brothers and sisters around them have to say about them. Jesus is the one who decides whether they're in or whether they're out. And in his estimation, they're so far in that they get to wear crowns on their way in and they get to have his name and the name of the city and the name of his father written all over them when they pass through the door that is open that he will not allow anyone else to close. Jesus 
is the all-time best in making outsiders insiders. All-time best. Think about the stories you know in Scripture and how often he would do this. You can go back to Father Abraham, a guy from a different country, wandering in the wilderness, whom God calls to a new home somewhere else. You can look at God's favor resting to when Samuel goes to find the king and God telling Samuel, no, it's not any of, of these children that their father is presenting to you. Uh, it, it, it's the one child that he doesn't want to present to you who he left in the fields to tend the sheep. His name is David. You need to go get that guy, the one that's weak, the one that's small, the one that's unassuming. He's going to be the one through whom the kingship uh, proceeds, the one through whom God is going to bless Israel more than he ever had since. And we can all look back on into that wonderful time in Israel's history under the kingship of David, who was that unassuming outsider who God decided needed to be an insider. We see it happen in all of the apostles. When people would look at them, they would think that they were unlearned men. They would think that they were unwise, untrained, uncouth. And yet God is the one who chose these individuals who had nothing of importance written on them, obvious to the rest of the world, but instead God chose them to say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Even as they stunk of fish by having set out all night in a boat trying to catch fish and being unsuccessful, God says, I want you to be the first of my teammates, the first of my hands and feet that bring an entirely new message of love and salvation into a world of darkness that is in desperate need of it. Do I need the religious elite? No, no, no. I need you. I need the fisherman. I need the doctor. I need the tax collector. I, I need to go over to Zacchaeus's house, even though everyone would say that he is someone who needs to be totally avoided because of everything that he's done wrong and all of the people that he has wronged in the process. Jesus loves making outsiders insiders. And so if you've ever felt like an outsider, I have really good news for you. Jesus wants to make you an insider, like today. And he's not waiting. You don't have to pass some sort of test. You don't have to live in moral perfection for the rest of your life. You don't have to memorize this many scriptures or this certain confession. All you have to do is walk through the door that he barred open and nobody else can close it. All you have to do is to accept his an invitation to bring you into his community, into his family. That's all that it takes. I know in our world where you only get included if you pay a membership fee or if you go through some ritual, or if you make sure that you impress the right people, and that's the only way we find inclusion in our world today, that it's hard to imagine the king of the universe saying, I want you in my family, and all you have to do is come and receive the gift that I freely give. But grace is kind of hard to understand sometimes. Yet that is exactly what God offers to us. In a world of people who have lived lives of exclusion, we have a God coming and preaching inclusion to the point that he is willing to send his son down to die for the excluded, down to die for the unworthy, even those who were sinning while he came for them. Christ died for them and died for you, the ungodly. Jesus is the all-time best in making outsiders insiders. Not only will they be included, included in the family of God, they will be honored. Jesus says to the ones who overcome that they will be pillars in the temple of God. Pillars in the temple of God. 
the ones who bear the load of the kingdom of God, the ones about, upon which the kingdom of God is built. You kind of have that idea in mind when you think of the church, when you think of God's kingdom today. It is these kind of people that are in Philadelphia uh, that, that, that this message is built on. The strength of that kind of witness. And again, the wear the name of God, the wear the name of the new city, and even the new name of Jesus. There will be a complete reversal where the, the false Jews, the synagogue of Satan, when, in, instead of ridiculing them and excluding them, they will in, in, in instead be kneeling before them because Jesus is going to show those folks who spoke against those he loved just how much he loved us. That's why he said he did it. Not to be judgmental, but he said, I want them to bow before you so that they will see that I love you. So it will be obvious that you are mine. So it will be clear that you do belong and that you belong to me. On earth, the Christians in Philadelphia had little, but in heaven they will have everything. On earth, the Christians in Philadelphia face constant exclusion, but in heaven they are included even to the point of being given crowns. The excluded of the world can find inclusion with Jesus. And the only command he has for the church in Philadelphia is a simple one and a short one. Hold fast what you have. In other words, keep doing what you're doing. Keep on keeping on. These folks were living the life despite the persecution, despite the exclusion. And Jesus wanted them to hold fast and gave them a promise that was coming. In a world, let's, let's make it more specific and real than generalized in a world where this happens. In your world, when you faced exclusion, I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I have a good feeling that you've experienced it at some point in your life. Isn't it interesting how hard we try and how much energy we put forth in just trying to fit in? In just trying to be a part of this world? Back in spring break, Cheryl and I went to Fredericksburg. It's one of our favorite places to go to get away for a while. And while we were there, uh, there was this place we were going to go for lunch. It was one of those wineries that has a place where you can eat. Uh, and so we were going to, to go in and get something to eat. And when I got to, like, the, the Mater D, I guess that's what you would call him, the Mater D's table, he asked me, he said, do you have a membership? I was like, well, no, I just want to eat. Um, and he said, well, then you can't come in. Um, and I'm, I'm very rarely am I salty uh, to people in the service industry just because I try to be try to be kind all the time. I really try. Uh, and, and this isn't going to sound all that salty to those of you who can be really salty, but uh, I just kind of looked at him and I said, okay, deuces. That was like, how lame is that? Deuces. See you later. Uh, that's, that's, that's my ultimate slam. Um, but anyway, we walked off and I think we went to some Mexican restaurant instead or something that was probably a whole lot better than their food. Can I get an amen? Well, now, I don't want that exclusionary food, that hoity-toity food, but really that was the kind of feeling that came up in my mind was as we were walking back to the car, well, look at all those people who get to go into this place. I bet they have a membership. 
uh, you know, I, I, I bet they're included. Uh, you begin to think all these terrible thoughts about people. It wasn't godly. Don't think it that way. I had the exact wrong reaction. Uh, instead, I begin to get jealous and I begin to get anger. I begin to have wrath and I begin to get judgmental because of that anger. And I thought terrible things about the people who were going in. Like, oh, there's the, you know, there's the nice, there's the rich people. We must be nice to be able to go into that place. I'm being real in front of y'all this morning. I hope you appreciate the vulnerability. Um, but those are the kind of things that go through your head, right? Because there's just something in us. We don't want to be on the outside looking in. And we spend so much time trying to fit into a world we were never meant to fit in in the first place. Like you weren't meant to fit in here. You weren't built for here. As a matter of fact, while you're here, you are here as a foreigner in foreign land. You're a sojourner. You are a missionary, and your job is to be, by the, by the message of God that we have through the Bible, as Paul would put it, you are to be an ambassador of Christ. You know what that means, right? An ambassador is someone who represents a, uh, another country in a foreign land. A U.S. ambassador in Canada or the Middle East or wherever, at, wherever the embassy is, that is a space that is under sovereign United States rule, but it exists in another country. And the ambassador is the one who, ex who is there in that other country for the interests of the United States. And for the same way with us, we are duly aligned in citizenship in our world. We have citizenship here on this planet, and we have citizenship in the kingdom of God. And our citizenship in the kingdom of God ought to, out ought to outweigh any citizenship that we have on this planet, whether that's American or anything else. And while we are here, we are here as embassies of Christ and ambassadors of Christ. And where we exist as embassies of Christ, the church, we know that God's rule reigns supreme and nothing else really matters. Nothing usurps that role and authority of God. And while we are here, we are here with the interest of the kingdom of God in mind. And what is the interest of the kingdom of God in mind? It's not really that hard. Love God and love people. Love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Christ commanded us to do. Go to the least of these and teach them and show them the love of Jesus. This is our goal. We're not supposed to fit in to this world, so why do we waste so much time thinking the grass must be greener? Oh, it must be good to be a part of this economic stratus or, or, or uh, economic status or this uh, social group or this church group or this school group or this athletic team or blah, 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 blah. There's so many things that we have the fear of missing out on and so many things that we want to be a part of that we were never designed to be a part of because there is only one place we fit there is only one place we should be included, and that is in the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we're built for. And guess what? There's a door with the door ripped off the hinges waiting for you to come through the door. It's open, and nobody's going to close it because the one who opened it says it's not going to get closed. And all you have to do is to accept that invitation. The excluded of the world can find inclusion with Jesus. The door is opened by Jesus and no one else can close it. Jesus loves making outsiders insiders. And he can do the same for you. So as we come to a close and enter into a time of invitation this morning, two things. One, if you've never experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ, never given your life and believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord, 
and you're afraid you are here today and you do not belong to God's family because you haven't walked through that open door of belief, faith, and confession, today can be a day where you do that. The invitation is open, and as long as there is air in your lungs, that invitation will remain. You are not excluded. No matter how many times in your life you felt excluded, no matter how many open, closed doors you have stared right face to face, God is telling you today he wants you to come to him. He wants to include you in all the good things that he has to give his children, both in the life to come and in an abundant life here on earth. If you have never accepted that invitation, today can be that day. I'll be down here during our time of invitation. You can come and talk with me and pray with me then. I'll hang around after the service if you'd like to talk with a little more privacy, and we can discuss what that looks like in your life. And if you're joining us online, just send, some, send us a Facebook message say, hey, I want to talk, and once somebody will get a hold of you, uh, and we'll reach out and we'll have that conversation. For those of you who do have that saving relationship with Jesus, if you've been walking through a season of exclusion, this is a time to be reminded that you belong, not to this world, but to Jesus. And what are you pursuing? Where are you trying to fit in? Jesus is calling you back home to him, to the things that really matter. So that's one. Two. There are other people in this world, maybe in this room, maybe in your family, maybe in your workplace, certainly in this community, certainly in the school that you go to. There are people who are living lives of exclusion. You know, one of the weirdest things about our culture today, and most of you already know this, is that in a world in which we have more ways to connect than we ever have, we are the least connected we've ever been connect on superficial levels and we never push forward for real connection. So there are disconnected, excluded people walking around us every day that don't know that Jesus loves them and know even less that the church of Jesus Christ loves them. May we be a people who look for the excluded. May we be a people who preach the same message to others that Jesus preached to us. May we be a people who are willing to go and look for the lost, look for the excluded, look for those in pain, look for those who are disconnected, and to tell them the truth that Jesus loves them and his church does too. I do too. And invite them into connection, not only with the Savior of the universe, but with his body, his kingdom, his church, his family, which is you. Invite somebody over for lunch, hang out with them, get a cup of coffee with somebody, do something. But if you know somebody in your circle, in your life, in your realm of influence somewhere is feeling exclusion, it's up to you to do something about that and include the excluded, just as Jesus has always done. So those are the two things. If you would like to be included in the family of God and accept that invitation, I would love to talk with you. And for those of you who are in the family of God, what are you doing to include others in the family, to extend the message to others on the outside. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. I'll be down here to pray with you about any of these things or something totally unrelated. If that's on your heart during our time of invitation, you can come and pray with me. You can come down and pray at the steps at the altar. You're always welcome to pray right where you are at. But I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing together once again with our band. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for, again, your presence, for you being here with us and within us. 
God, we know we are not worthy. So we marvel at how much you love us and all that you're willing to do for us and give to us. God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who's searching for a place to belong in wells that will only be dry and empty, God, would you show them today that your love never runs out, it never fails, it never runs dry. And God, that invitation is open, the door is open if they would just walk through it and believe and confess you as Savior. And Lord, those of us who do believe, God, would you show us how to chase after the right things and find belonging in you and not in the things of this world. And God, also, would you lay on our hearts actual names of people we know who are on the outside who need someone to open a door for them. May we be that door. May you show us how. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.